This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. We're back! After a, um, I guess we'll call it a hiatus, we had to pop back on to express our feelings about Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow and their cancellations, which, you know, hashtag save Batwoman, hashtag save Legends of Tomorrow. We'll take a TV movie. We'll take uh, another season. Um, we'll take a miniseries. I mean, whatever they're willing to give. I know some fans said that they'd be okay with a comic book wrap up. I would not be. Mm-hmm. I need to actually <laughs> see these characters finish their arcs on um, on TV at some point or HBO Max. HBO Max, we're ringing the alarm. Please save the shows. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> listen. <laughs> yes, please. We're screaming. Like, Help us out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, this week we are going to be doing, you know, a little bit of award situation, some award nods. So we're very, very excited for it. And of course, that means we need to honor some actors on the CW and uh, the wonderfulness that they bring to our lives and, you know, some shows as well. But first, as always, we must get to. The CW News. Uh, so Reed and Michael, pilots, they keep talking about the three pilots. They're going forward. They're going forward. We know. Do you, like, but do you, which ones do you think will actually go to get a series order? All of them. Yeah, I'm totally on board. And like you could say Gotham Knights is the obvious. It seems even more obvious now with uh, the cancellation of the other DC shows. But like they need franchise hits. They've canceled two major franchise hits. And like they were among the more middle watch shows in the network. If, you, if you're going to do that, you need to start higher. And these, these uh, potential pilots seem like the right way to do that. I don't agree that it's the right way to do that, but we get the point from business strategy. Um, all three of them I can see being highly marketable. They need franchise hits. This is the way to do it. Right now, there's nothing else to really contend with them. So why not like go all in on all of them? Yeah, it seemed like because it's such a small collection of pilots this season that they are going to go all in on all three of them. And it would be weird if they would just picked one, right? Or like even just two. So mm. at this point, in considering how big they all are, they're connected to different shows. I'd be shocked if any of them didn't make it. I feel the same way. I feel like, as Michael, you mentioned with Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow going bye-bye, um that and those were fall shows i believe so you would definitely need to insert two of your pilots going in there i know that they the consensus at least in the rest of the media is that because of the potential sale cw is going to have to scale down its roster what that means come fall tv um we don't know uh we probably won't know until we get that schedule at upfront um I've never, you know, upfronts is something that happens. I've never been scared about fronts. I am now scared about fronts, but yeah, we'll see. Um, but before that, there is the finales coming. Um, well, some of them, one of them already went, but that's Naomi. I had the two-hour season finale. Homegirl got, um, you know, a big lack of time. It meant that we did not get Superman and Lois, but I'm tentatively okay with that. You know, sometimes you got to let another show shine. Um, I, it, I know it ended on a cliffhanger. I don't actually watch Naomi, but I'm hoping that they renew it for those who really enjoy her show. 
it kind of feels like it's just getting started. So it would be a shame if it was like snuffed out before it really got the chance to shine. It feels like season two set up more like what people were waiting for from the show. So I do hope it gets the chance to tell that story. I hope so. Um, especially because how many more like DC TV shows are we going to get rid of? Um, mm-hmm. So like let her, I feel like season one is always the way that you sort of find your footing. And if they did find their footing, even if they didn't quite find their audience, a season two would help them get more of an audience, especially if people binge it over the summer. Mm, definitely. Uh, and then on May 23rd, All-American season four will have its finale along with All-American Homecoming. I am behind on both shows. I have seen some articles though. So I don't know if I need to, once again, Chris, I'm going to shout you out. I don't know if I need to like later, um, like jump in her DMs to be like, so did they break up? Because I'm not sure. I've, I've actually stayed out of the tags. So I don't know if Simone and um, Jordan are taking a break or why. I can't help you. I'm like six episodes behind on Homecoming. I don't know how it happened. It was like at one point I was like two episodes. That's fine. I can catch that up, catch up on that. And now I'm like <laughs> six weeks behind. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> now you're like, maybe once it hits. Well, actually, we don't know if it's going to hit Netflix or HBO. I'm assuming it's going to be HBO Max because mm. it's a new CW show. But it seems weird that they wouldn't have it on Netflix. Yeah. It's like twins that are separated in different classes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. That's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, odd. I know perhaps we'll get some news about that down the line. And then Legacies moved its finale date because they're not returning for new episodes until June 2nd. So its finale is going to be June 16th. Given choice. Yeah. Is it because of Superman? I was wondering that. I, I don't know. It's given it run for its money as far as how oh, okay. go. Um, it's Thursday, isn't it? Yeah, Thursday, June 16th. So yeah. That's, There's no uh, real reason provided, I don't think, of why I, they're holding the last three or four episodes yeah i feel like that show has been ending for like the last three or four months <laughs> <laughs> so it's finally gonna get there in june and michael's like wrap it up already <laughs> he is. no so shade funny. no shade to legacies no shade None whatsoever. I, know. I know you know what hashtag renew legacies um for those who enjoy the show i think it will uh, be yeah i think so too yeah, okay. not only have they been loud but if we're gonna be doing concerned about franchise hits the Vampire Diaries um, universe has been living quite a long time mm-hmm. on the network, so it just doesn't seem like they're going to kill it now, but we'll see. Um, but speaking of respectful things, so apparently 4400 did really, in CW standards, well at drawing an audience, right? I believe, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but we were somewhere around 700,000 viewers. Um, I think that's the average though, right? Yeah, that's the average. Okay, yeah. With all things like factored in. I think all things factored in. I mean, but that is much better than a lot of these other shows on the CW. And not that I liked uh, 4400, but you would think that that a show that drew that average, like the average um, number like that, that they would have more, I don't know, promo for it. You wouldn't even know 4400 was on the CW, to be honest. Mm. I, I never see this show. The thing about their ratings and even these um, like averages for weekly viewers, it's all comparably like not, it's not a wide margin. Like Dynasty, I remember reading that one article that said it was like 410,000. Is that the right? Am I doing math right? I think you did. I remember there was a typo in that one. So. <laughs> I'm like, am I saying numbers correctly? But like 
700,000 to 400,000 to me isn't like a huge gap. So I feel like, I don't know, not so I know we're putting respect on 4400's name right now, but like what the CW factors in between viewership and like everything else, it's puzzling. I think that's what we're learning as we talked about 4400. <laughs> It is puzzling, especially because like for a show that didn't actually get a lot of promo for them to draw that number, um, mm-hmm. me, it would make you think they'd be more of a contender for renewal. But it's so quiet out here um, when it comes to that to that show. Now, I don't know, of course, if that means if if they're even like quietly canceled, how much of that fan base is going to be in an uproar. But I mean, if I was a fan of 4,400 and I saw these numbers that they said the show did on average and that I had a big boost um, from streaming, I'd be, um, excuse me, I'd be upset, you know, to be like, okay, so you canceled this show that had more viewers on average, but you gave us something else that is struggling out here in the water weekly. Like why? I know if I mean, if it survives all this, like, oh, it's not going to make it or will it make it up talk like congrats to them. They deserve it because they're holding out. But like, it is weird that like the two big front runners in terms of what comes next or what will return have been canceled. And then one of the quieter shows like 4400 have had like there's literally crickets in terms of that. So maybe that maybe that will ultimately work in its favor. It does sound like it's been quietly like working away under the surface. We've all been talking about the bigger shows that maybe hit harder on the night, but maybe maybe 4400's quietly done the work behind the scenes and built up kind of like a quieter viewership through streaming and things like that. It would be cool if it gets a chance to, to shine second season, because I know I remember they kind of funneled quite a bit into promo at the start and then maybe after the first two or three episodes there was just not a single trailer for that after that so I hope it gets the chance at least as someone who's admired what the show could have been I hope it gets the chance for a second season but I can't lie and say that this the early on stats didn't look good yeah there's always lower stakes for like a new show that maybe doesn't hit like in the cultural way that they want it to so like they're just like oh we can cancel that one and done but it does seem like in a different era, 10 years ago, this show could have thrived. Mm-hmm. And even in more recent years, like the hundred was always on in like the summer and spring and like pulled out seven seasons. It feels like that could have happened with 4,400 if things happened differently for it. Yeah, I could see that. But I mean, who knows? We've been counting them out, but maybe we shouldn't be. Maybe, maybe it's still going to go for seven seasons. <laughs> <laughs> maybe or at least get a season two pickup. Um, but as far as going for seven seasons and probably didn't necessarily need to, Riverdale has some casting news. Ooh. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a I'm, nice segue. <laughs> <laughs> God, I can't believe we, ch- we changed our opinion so much on Riverdale uh, with season six we'll get to that later it's evolving it's evolving you know i know we're on our father carrington but not in a good way (laughs) Uh, but i am intrigued though by the casting of caroline day as heather who is a librarian from greendale and also cheryl's long boss junior high sweetheart Uh, apparently uh after um cheryl tracks Heather down on social media and gets in touch with her, uh, she'll re-enter her life and she'll have some secret knowledge on how to help Cheryl understand her fire powers. Uh, The picture of Caroline Day as Heather was interesting. 
Mm-hmm. As in, she looks like a murderous librarian. That seems on brand for Riverdale and for Cheryl. So I am excited to see where they go with this. I'm just now seeing that she's from Greendale. Is this how we're going to get Sabrina back? Hopefully. Mm. I guess that could work. I love how the fact that Riverdale has stayed away from Supernatural for like six seasons and suddenly everyone starts developing powers and people in these neighboring towns know everything about powers as well and they can help them. So you can, this, the show has jumped off the Supernatural deep end and I guess Heather will play into that. She will and it should be fun. I mean, in a, in a season in which there is not a lot of fun, yeah. um, she could be great. This is true. You just said something that I w- we're going to touch on later. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like very anxious to get down to the Riverdale portion. Right? Um, but yeah, so Riverdale, not doing so hot. Uh, we'll explain it in a few. But first, we actually get to do, we get to be positive. We get to be positive first, which is great. Because we're going to talk about shows on the CW that deserve to be nominated. We're going to kick it off with Nancy Drew the underdog CW show that everybody not, didn't necessarily count out, but didn't expect to get a first round pick renewal from the CW. Underrated series. I'm proud of her. I'm proud of that show. I'm proud of its fans. And I can't wait to start watching. Like it's going to happen soon this summer. I'm going to be ready for season four. Um, but yeah, it's like the network seems to have a lot of faith in that show. So by proxy, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have faith in the show too. It seems like it's maybe doing what a certain other show should have been doing, not to compare Nancy Drew to that show, Riverdale, um, because there's room for everybody. It's not one or the other. It's not like, you know, but facts are facts. (laughs) (laughs) It really does deserve like a little bit of praise here because everyone kind of wrote it off as a, a dead cert for cancellation. Not not only did like the fans come out in favor of it, it actually worked. You know what I mean? It got a renewal and it was in with the, the big shows. Um, even the, if stats wise, not all of those shows were big, but we'll get to that later too. Um, but the, they really came through in the end. So like fair play to the Nancy fans and fair play to Nancy Drew for fi- fighting its corner for how many years now? Three seasons. Yes, for season four. Yeah, it makes you excited. Like I too want to be like, so over the summer, I guess I'll transform into a member of the Drew crew. We'll be out here in the fall, like like talking about it on the podcast and more than us just being like, we're cheerleading from afar. (laughs) Very happy for y'all. I mean, it's bad out here for us. We're (laughs) struggling. We need something. Nancy, help us. (laughs) We do, because we're down bad on how many CW shows? My goodness. Um, But yeah, like, yay, uh, Drew crew. Uh, we can't wait to be a part of y'all's entire squad and to like receive some positivity because, you know, CW fandoms aren't always positive. But They seem like a very welcoming community. They do. Mm-hmm. They do. And I appreciate refreshing. that. It is refreshing. Uh, but speaking of welcoming communities, uh, so Legends of Tomorrow, our pick for best ensemble on the CW. Um, Michael, I'll let you take it away in a moment, but I just want to say that I really, really do love that uh, the Legends family, it's so big, it's so diverse, they're all so welcoming, and they are they all are so warm. Like, during the whole hashtag Save Legends of Tomorrow campaign, it's just been so nice to see everybody's tweets encouraging one another and explaining why they love the show so much. 
Definitely. And I think that's a great way to lead into the why Legends is the best ensemble, because just like its fans, it's the most eclectic, welcoming lineup, but like people from all walks of life together and fighting for the same goal. And Legends of Tomorrow to me is exactly how you do an ensemble show, which is why it's so frustrating when shows in the other same universes, other shows like The Flash or Arrow, try to turn their one lead shows into an ensemble show. So we don't need to know about Team Flash. We don't need to know about Team Arrow because those shows cannot balance the characters because there has to be a focus placed on the lead. Whereas Legends of Tomorrow has always been an ensemble series. Yes, the leader of the pack has changed occasionally from time to time, but they know how to juggle all the characters correctly. And season seven was one of the best examples of that. They really nailed a given this character time, given that character at moment to shine. And whether they're new characters, original characters, older characters, younger characters, everyone gets a chance to shine on Legends. It's how you do an ensemble series. And it's one of the one of the biggest reasons I'll miss it on the CW's lineup because it really deserved that chance to bow out because I don't know if I've ever seen a better handling of an ensemble cast. And it all of them, every single character, whether they just showed up in season seven or whether they've been there since season one, deserved a proper anthem because they all they all got the focus and they all deserved that anthem. But I just wanted to take this moment to appreciate everything Legends of Tomorrow has given to its cast, to its crew, to its characters, and of course to its fans, because everybody sees themselves reflected in one of those characters in that ensemble cast. And it's just, it's been wonderful to be part of that journey over the years. And I hope we get one more chance, one final mission for the legends because it's, it's what they deserve. Give them a TV movie, at least. If people can get a Christmas animated movie. Right. <laughs> you can do a TV movie to wrap up Legends of Tomorrow. Yes, let it happen. Praise Bebo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so best new addition, and I'm going to like get on my soapbox now, uh, is All-American Homecoming. I don't really care for the headlines saying that like we're dipping an audience toward um, time for renewals, you know, because we are in cancellation season. And because um, I think All-American Homecoming, if we're to pick um, a second underrated show, it'd be this one. And I say that because it's launched the college era on the CW. Grant, we tend to stay in high school or we skip past uh, uh, college on the CW because co- college dramas are hit or miss. Like either you're very successful with it or it crashes and burns. And I think it has been so lovely and interesting seeing the CW try its hand in an actual college drama using characters, at least through Simone, uh, that we met while they were in high school. And she is growing, she's like the same character, but she's grown so much on All-American Homecoming. And in some cases, you know, of course she's making mistakes. It's what people do, especially when they've gotten new experiences and they're they're not exactly the same person they were even a few months after having graduated. And I want them to continue giving us those stories about what it's like to be a young adult um, going through college, going through uh, life experiences away from your parents. What are new, what your new friendships look like? What does it look like balancing a long distance relationship? All that is important and information that younger audiences will tune into. You know, they, it's like the next step in, in YA age development and we always get past it. And I just hope that All American Homecoming gets to stay a part of the CW's roster for another season so that it can continue to expand the work that it's doing. 
I agree with you. I think tonally, this is where I want to see the CW a little bit more because they went away from it and they kind of chased that, like the darkness of like a, an adolescent story, but this is so light and there's still some heaviness, but it's very much a relatable kind of heaviness, not like a, <laughs> my father's a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, yes, that's somebody's life experience, but it's not the average life yeah. experience. Um, and I do love that our American homecoming is so relatable in the sense that it tells stories that people do actually go through and not like crank it up to 11 <laughs> and add in like spices of like, my father's a serial killer or I've been a homeless teen since I was 16 years old because my father is an alcoholic and I live at uh, a drive-in that is closing because of a, <laughs> of a businessman who wants the area. Like, yes, that's Everdale Shade. Not that season one wasn't great, but still, I like that we're, we're not at, 11, right? Like a, <laughs> like a <Yeah>. six, <laughs> as far as the eights. Uh, so as far as actors and actresses who deserve awards, I think anyone who's watched Superman and Lois knows that Fitzy Tulloch should be out here getting nominated for things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just obvious. There are so many scenes from her, but really it was uh, last season, episode eight, Holding the Wrench. Like that... I think gripped everyone. Michael, I believe I saw tweets from you back then about how it gripped you because um, it was an amazing storyline. It was truly a, a phenomenal, authentic performance because so we always talk about how Superman at Lois tries to do more uh, authentic stories, more realistic stories and doesn't always gear towards the superhero aspect of it. But I think Holy the Ranch was the first time it fully dived into that realism kind of uh, point of view because you had Lois talking to her therapist. It framed, it framed the start of the episode at the start where she talked about how she'd done something wrong. And then it wasn't until like the third quarter of the episode that it fully went into what she'd done wrong and why she felt such guilt about it. And you got to see all of her personal struggles and how this like esteemed a reporter who was on top of the world for so long also struggled with her own personal issues and the performance Betsy gave throughout that entire episode was just world class not not that anyone ever should have had doubts because she's been amazing ever since she was on screen I think that was the episode that everyone was like hold on a minute this is the definitive lowest lane of this generation she was absolutely incredible and it it didn't feel like you were watching a superhero drama and that is no shade to superhero dramas because you know I love them but it's just so different compared to anything else in the genre and her performance you, you could have found that performance in a HBO drama you could have found that performance on an Amazon Prime original series you could have found that performance in any emmy nominated show that she was just incredible and i feel like no matter even though people do talk about it quite a lot not enough people are talking about how incredible she is and that to me was the performance across all of television last season there's a moment in at least yeah right (laughs) (laughs) there's a moment in, in at least every episode i'm like wow she's amazing and something else that she does really well for me at least, is she grounds this show mm-hmm. in like realism where we have like all this stuff happening, like larger than life superhero stuff, but then she's there to keep us humble in place and have a sense of like, okay, I can, I see you, I relate to you. And she brings us into this world. And I think that's something that a lot of um, these kinds of shows don't have. That's why I don't really connect with them as much like the superhero shows but like this one there's 
she gives you a, a way in that others don't tech usually have. That's very true. And I think a lot of that has to do with her vulnerability and how um, it shifts depending on who she's acting with. Like you, you do see her, you know, as, as a wife, a mom, a daughter, a world famous reporter. And um, it never feels one note. It never feels like, oh, she's acting opposite the actor who plays her father, but she could have the same emotion if she was acting with Clark or um, she gets, or she's one of those actors who gets yelly whenever they're emotional, but it's always here and there's never, level, there's never levels to it. Um, Bitsy is queen of levels. She's queen of layers. Um, it is amazing. I love her line delivery. I, and just like, even just one word, the way that she said Candace when that girl walked through the door, <laughs> it still gets me because uh, it speaks to an actor's skill to be able to deliver um, emotion in just one word. Even if it's wry or dry, or it's just you instantly know like, oh, girl, you in trouble. But she going to keep it like together because she's a mom. She don't like you. Um, and it's obvious. <laughs> Yeah, and that episode holding the ranch definitely highlighted that because you saw how Lois was struggling um, over the guilt she felt over her miscarriage, which nobody knew about beforehand. And then you saw how that evolved into the rage, how she uh, uh, roared at Jonathan when he almost got himself killed. And then you saw how the more uh, understandably below the surface emotional side of her, because that was all that she'd buried underneath. And in the final in the final moment of the episode, when she opened up to Jonathan about why she reacted like that and just the term layered gets thrown around an awful lot, but it's been a long time since I've seen a performance that layered in 40 minutes and it was just exquisite. She yeah. has the range. Bitsy has the range. She does yeah. have the range. And it's so amazing. <laughs> like she's one of the best parts of Superman and Lois. Um, the other best part is Tyra Hecklin, uh, who's just, if she's the definitive Lois Lane, for me, he's the definitive Superman. Uh, there is, for any actor who's playing a superhero who has a certain characterization when they're their alter ego and when they're just themselves. Um, people do sort of pick sides on whether, oh, so-and-so is a better Clark, but they're not a great Superman, or so-and-so is a great Superman, but they're not a good Clark. And Tyler is so great at both. Like, um, he's so lovely as Clark, whether he's like his actual self or he's the goofy Clark that he has to be. So no one catches on that he has powers. And there's just a, there's a quiet authority to him as Superman, like a, a, a trust you would definitely put in him, even if you would never met him in your life. And I think that can be, that's such a subtle thing to be able to do and convey. And Tyler does it really, really well. Without a doubt. And I feel like that's kind of been my, I, I've always had a, a, like a love for him since he appeared on Supergirl because he nailed both of the characters' aspects back then as well. And it was like, it, he, it was more traditionally comic book back then. He was the incredibly goofy, nerdy Clark Kent versus the very esteemed Superman. But Superman at Lois has kind of added that like authentic quality of like a drop of realism into it. So he's a more like, uh, edged Clark Kent. He, he's still nerdy. He's still goofy, but he also has this kind of like world awareness that the original one didn't. And because he's the father, he's been a husband for 20 years. He's been a superhero for 20 years. And then the Superman aspect of it as well. He's definitely got this like esteemed veteran. I love how you said that, like quiet authority about him. Everyone knows to trust him. And it's just, he, the way he the way he like portrays Clark's he's he's calm in every situation, but you can see the worry when things get too 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 severe. 
the quality of like this veteran superhero who's seen everything comes across every single time he's Superman. And yet the quality of this like authentic father, authentic husband in, in the like lower budget scenes and in, in the Kent household feels so real and like they could belong to any drama. For me, he is the quintessential Superman. And I think ever since Superman at Lois started, that just took it to the whole next level. I'm so happy that the, these two are together on this show and they've given us Lois Lane and Clark Kent and Superman and all that because it's just, I think if there's a superhero drama to like really pay attention to right now, it's Superman and Lois because it's, they've managed to give you a superhero show while also making it a very compelling family drama. Mm-hmm. And that is hard to pull off. It also doesn't seem like other shows are that interested in doing that. They want to give you the flash and the pizzazz. And, and it's not that they're, the family aspects of those shows aren't great. They are, obviously. Legends of Tomorrow is a prime example of that. But um, it's just something very old school family drama about Superman and Lois that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heart to it. Mm-hmm. I, I remember it was described as Friday Night Lights with tights. And I think that's exactly what it kind of is. It does feel like one of those old classic early 2000s family dramas, but with superheroes mixed in and somehow the balance just works beautifully. It does. It does. I'm so happy about that. I could gush about Superman and Lois like forever. (laughs) Couldn't we all? (laughs) I know. Um, But we'll move on to the other actor who's going to acknowledge her best actor in a drama. And um, some of you may not actually know this show or like are only aware that it's aliens on the CW. Uh, and that is uh, Roswell, New Mexico. Last season, uh, Nathan Dean Parsons, who plays Max Evans, hit it out of the park. Um, he played an alien dictator named Jones, who is the clone father. I don't really know how to explain it, but he is, Max is cloned from Jones. And Jones was hidden in a pod, an egg pod, and they came across him. And it's funny. I know. (laughs) He was. He was hidden away in an egg pod. Came out the pod and started terrorizing. Um, And it was fantastic. I think his Nathan's performance reminded me of um, Nina DeBrev's. Uh, when she had to play multiple characters mm-hmm. on the Vampire Diaries, and it is it's very hard to strike a balance uh, between the character everyone is used to and then this new character because you have to convincingly uh, get the audience to accept the, uh, that same face, different person. And Nathan did that beautifully. Jones is the best part of Roswell New Mexico season three, and it's because he's funny villainous unsettling and um he has like mannerisms that like that's kind of genteel and old-timey uh and that fits into the show but also is like dude you're a lot like you like you have like he's dramatic and i love that about jones on that show i love that all these cw shows have their actors playing more than one character Mm -hmm. (laughs) it seems like so much fun to be able to be like okay i have this character but then i can play and do something else for a little bit you made me want to watch season three oh okay just just to see what's happening (laughs) i Um, wonder what jones is up to (laughs) you can watch a super cut i'm gonna tell you that i like (laughs) serena's like you're not gonna like the whole show don't commit to it i respect that (laughs) yes well because i think this show would probably make you angry Um, well i did start it and 
it was good but the second episode didn't pull me in as much as the first one so i was like i'm gonna let everybody else have their fun it doesn't seem like something i'm gonna commit to for the long term but you never know you never know i mean the way this the first episode of this the season one ends it would actually draw you in because she like is it it's janine mason looking at camera going he killed my sister right (laughs) (laughs) i guess i believe that's that's how that episode ends um but yeah i'd recommend watching a supercut of jones don't get into this angry pod with me like it's the the, razo new mexico is good for what it is um it could be better but I'm going to table that because that'll end up being a rant. <laughs> Instead, we are going to talk about the glory that is Liz Gillies. Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know where to begin. I'm calling her the best actress in a comedy series, which might be controversial. Contra- I can never say controversial. Controversial. But at this point, Dynasty has um, sort of morphed into this like soap comedy, which is its sweet spot. And... Liz does it so perfectly like she's set the tone of this show since the very first episode like she got it and she's been running full steam ahead this whole series the lines they give her her line deliveries of these jokes these lines that like they happen so quickly she talks so fast in a very good way like kind of like Gilmore Girlsy but like you know what I mean? But you can almost miss them because they're just she does it so well under the radar and it's so funny and you would never expect like it's obviously not a full-blown comedy series in the traditional sense but it's so outlandish and campy and over the top and the tone isn't as like melodramatic as you would think of a soap I don't know I think she's responsible for most of the success of what Dynasty is and has become in modern times what do you guys think about Liz? Let's keep talking about Liz. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she makes that show. Um, it is mm-hmm. called Dynasty, but it might as well be called like the Fallon Carrington show um, because it lives and breathes by her comedic timing and her ability to push through even the most ridiculous of storylines. I love that it sort of, it takes the mean girl trope and then like the hurt young, like the hurt daughter trope, like who has the terrible father um, and blends them together in a way that like, it doesn't excuse her past behavior. It forces her to grow, but it also forces her to grow in a way that is hilarious. Like, um, like she, she's great as like a, a woman who, who, who takes charge. She's awful at relationships, um, but in a way that can be relatable and in a way that like you can tell it's not always malicious. She just doesn't think past herself. And I think Liz does excellently walking that fine line because I think if they didn't have as skilled as an actress, Fallon wouldn't be likable. And yet even when she's at her most terrible, she's still really, really likable. Mm-hmm. She's endearing. Yeah, she mm-hmm. is. And you're right. There's a really fine line in Liz. It's walking that line in heels. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, my my face hurts from smiling or laughing every time she's on screen. Um, she makes the most outlandish things work. The pool fight in season one, for example, just glorious. Her delivery of the lines, the, the the way she can ham it up, but at the same time, it's just a quick, sharp line, and it just completely changes the tone of a scene. It's just not. You're right. Not everyone could do that. She just nails it every single time. 
And it's the show has an excellent ensemble cast. Like that, this isn't to slight any of them. Like they all get the tone too, but it's just Liz at the center of the show makes the most sense of anything I've ever seen on the CW. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they are great. They're fantastic in their scenes. It's just, she has that fire that makes the show stand out. Yes. Um, And and I think it wouldn't be the same without her. Yeah. No, the, in the fashion too, she wears every piece of clothing, like it's its own character. And I know that's annoying to say, like all those shows are like New York is its own character in the show. And you're like, shut (laughs) up. (laughs) But like, the fashion she I don't know I can't explain it the way that she wears it it's so like part of the character and like it adds a whole different dynamic to how she performs as Fallon I feel that like when she in season one when she's at the funeral and she's got that big wide brimmed Mm -hmm. black hat and it's the way she steps out the car and like <laughs> and with her hat and she like adjusts what she's wearing and she like like we're gearing up for for whatever this fight is gonna be at the gravesite of all places <laughs> <laughs> and but like you're like oh okay she's gonna be terrible and it's okay i'm here for her to be terrible at this point because the outfit is amazing yep <laughs> <laughs> that's fallon that is we say it with such fondness <laughs> because <laughs> you take her how she is and hope she grows and she does that's what's great about her. She does. She might take some steps back, but she always finds the smallest step forward. So yeah, I appreciate that in a character. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the best actor in a comedy series is Nick Sano from DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Now, this is an interesting one because Nick usually plays Nate, who's quite serious. Some funny storylines, but he's usually the most one of the more serious characters. But in season seven, the the legends were haunted by Robo Legends, which were evil doppelgangers off them that just happened to be machines. Um, and uh, Nate's character had giant muscles, which like fake muscles, and uh, he was an android, of course, and he was portrayed as the most stupid of the pack. So he would say, like, we only have one job to do, which is to stop you and kill you, which I guess is two jobs, but I'll, well, well, that's that. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was really portrayed as like a Neanderthal with muscles. They really ha- ha- honed in on that. But when he got punched in the face in episode 11, I believe, it sent his wiring wonky and he started talking like Arnold Schwarzenegger because he was a robot and he called himself the ex-Terminator and uh, <laughs> it was really off the wall and goofy but the way Nick hammed up the role he was just it, it was so ludicrous and he nailed it and he was walking around trying to be terrifying killing Sarah who couldn't die at this point by the way so he said I'm going to kill you time and time again <laughs> and then, uh, uh, stop it come back <laughs> oh my god <laughs> nailed the Arnold Schwarzenegger impression um, uh, will I decapitate you and he was just he nailed it and for being such a serious character to see him get it let's have total fun with the role it was just an experience I'll tell you that I have to say I was surprised that he was in this show in particular as like a more serious character because I'd only ever known Nick from comedies in the mm. past like what I like about you and two broke girls and whatever else he popped up in but I don't know how many times Michael I've wanted to ask you about that photo of him and the muscles because <laughs> every time I see it I'm like is that real and then I just move on <laughs> Yeah, no, he he did start as quite a serious character and as time went on, he has a bit more fun with the role. role. 
but that character is usually in a relationship with someone else who he can't be with. So hijinks are involved. But all in all, Nate was one of the more serious characters. He got funnier as time went on, but I don't think he ever really had the opportunity to ham it up in the way that he did in that episode. And I believe that was his idea to have the big arms and the producers made it work for him. And it was just totally outlandish, totally ridiculous, and yet oh so legends. And he nailed it. It was wonderful. And I hope he gets to play Arnold Schwarzenegger in something else just to hear that voice again. <laughs> That's so great. It's it's awesome when writers put their trust in actors to carry forward the story that they want to tell and collaborate with them uh, for the direction that character is going to go. I mean, he did, uh, Nick had comedic roots, but there are times, you know, when you're like writers, you shouldn't have trust this actor. And now mm. we're stuck in this storyline. <laughs> but like with him, like it's like it's on the resume. You know, all he did was expand the repertoire. And that is so great. Yeah, he really did. And he was one of the longest standing characters on the show. If it had been renewed for an eighth season, he wouldn't have been on it. That was supposed to be his last season. Now it's the show's last season. But uh, it would have been it would have been hard to imagine Legends without him because he took so many risks. He tried so many different things and he was probably the lead male character in the show but he nailed that throughout his whole time, whether he was serious or whether he was funny. So I just wanted to take this chance to honor that because Legends makes you laugh all the time, but I don't remember the time, the last time I laughed that much at it than in that moment. So fair play. <laughs> That's so great. Um, and speaking about the like, actors who get the opportunity to do something different than what they're written as um, in the show, Nicole King, Batwoman season three, Poison Mary. Um, when everyone heard that, Poison Ivy was going to be in the show. You know, we thought it was just going to be Bridget T. Regan, uh, that she was going to do her magic uh, and it would just, you know, everybody else would fall in line in the villain storyline. And lo and behold, Nicole was handed the reins to the Poison Ivy aesthetic. And not only did she go wild with it, she did amazing. Um, it is, she gave a standout performance, being able to balance Dr. Mary Hamilton and all her insecurities. And um, I love the storyline around it because it's not just that she is insecure on her place in the team. It's that what that can do when you bury it, the type of rage that can come from it when you don't tell the people in your life that, hey, the way that you treat me, the way that you sideline me, not only um, makes me feel less than, but it makes me feel like you don't appreciate what I bring to the table. And if you don't appreciate what I bring to the table, how are we friends and how are we family? That is a um, that was a tightrope to walk without being over the top. And Nicole hit it out of the park. Without a doubt, the the campy part of it was such a departure from what her character is used to doing. Mary was always uh, one of the more uh, ba- well-balanced characters, one of the characters that people could rely on. And then she totally nailed the campy part of Poison Mary. She she looked incredible in the role. She was incredible in the role. Like that was Poison Ivy on those episodes, as far as I was concerned. She was just amazing. But then the fact that they managed to tie it to the character's dramatic arc and the performance Nicole gave throughout all of it was just amazing that was one of my favorite parts of season three and she just nailed that it broke my heart i don't think it's completely resolved which is why i wish batwoman had a tv movie or um another season because there is more there for nicole to dig through especially because i believe michael didn't we end the season with um, mary still thinking she killed somebody yes that is correct yep she had to deal with that yes um her poison ivy days came back to haunt her because she believes that one of her vines stabbed a, fa- a man who had a daughter with him or a son maybe. But either way, he had a family and she had to deal with the fallout of the fact that one of her vines killed him. Oh, drama. 
Yeah, except the, like the other end of that drama read is that it wasn't actually her. It's oh. likely was actually poison, the other poison ivy. Because um, she didn't, Mary never impaled. She would constrict. Mm, exactly. So that was kind of just thrown in. I, I feel like that was kind of setting up a potential redemption season four, but will we ever see it? I hope so. Hashtag HBO Max saved that woman. <laughs> please. please. <laughs> Uh, but we have another tie when it comes to best superhero. And Michael, now is your time to truly, truly shine because we know if there's a superhero besides the Flash that you champion all the time, it's Supergirl. The word superhero can mean so many things, but I genuinely don't know if any actor has ever summed up the traditional superhero better than Melissa Benoist has with Supergirl. From the first season right through to the sixth, Cara Danvers was like the personification of hope. She was lighthearted. She was fun. She was kind, considerate, compassionate, caring, all of the above. And such an endearing character to watch. And all of that is down to Melissa's performance. I honestly have watched so many of these shows, movies, read comics, played video games. And I'm not sure I've ever seen a more triumphant superhero the supergirl and the boundaries she broke through her six years on tv i believe supergirl was the first traditionally female-led superhero show since linda carter's wonder woman series in the 1970s that's how long it took to get a superhero on tv or a female superhero on tv leading a show and i look how many of them we have now look how many female-led superhero movies we have wonder woman black widow captain marvel and yeah, I'm sure Marvel would have taken, gotten to it eventually, but would they have ever tried it if it wasn't successful on television? Because I feel like television's always a safe backdoor pilot to the movies. If it works on TV, maybe it'll work on the movies. If Supergirl hadn't worked, maybe we maybe we wouldn't have had more female-led projects. And so I, I don't think the show's legacy ever gets uh, given the credit it deserves. And by extension, I don't think Melissa's legacy ever gets the credit it deserves because what she cultivated in six seasons of Supergirl had not been done in decades. And I just think that the show definitely had its issues as it went on. Her performance, her characterization did not. And I think as we move into a new TV season, it feels weird to still think we're part of the season that Supergirl was on because we're almost at the end of this TV season of Supergirl about out in November. I don't want to start a new TV season that Supergirl is not part of it because I love Cara Danvers so much. And I just wanted to, to give Melissa Benoist the credit she deserves because that performance is one of the all-time greats. And I'm not sure it will ever be equaled. She it, it is and will forever remain Supergirl. Wow, am I about to start watching Supergirl? <laughs> <laughs> watch season one, then move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, no, watch season two for, um, for Alex's arc, though, too, because yes, that's yes. a beautiful arc. And Tyler. Mm. <laughs> um, but I think if we say Superman and Lois has, um, as a whole, has a lot of heart, Melissa brought the heart to Supergirl. Um, I do think that because people have so much problems with her show, that she has been overshadowed by that. Um, but she, is, she was the anchor, the guiding light through Supergirl. Um, just stellar like truly um like she was able to be like a golden retriever but also be so vulnerable as a, as a sister that what it, what it's like to you know 
be adopted but in your home world just gone and wanting a sense of community and wanting to cultivate that in wherever you are and you know in her case struggling with romance too um she never she could do superheroing she was great at writing she had to work at um romance is not so hot I mean we could say blame that on the writing which I definitely will but I think it's also true that um if the show didn't do good with her romantic relationships they did really really well with her friendships and um her her sistership with Alex and a lot of that has to do with the emotion that Melissa brought to the scenes whether she was happy for someone in her life or she was hurting for them or she was dealing with her own uh Kara was dealing with her own shortcomings in the way that protecting herself has hurt other people um I think that Melissa will go down as an underrated CW actress. And it's a shame because she did such good work on Supergirl. Um, so much so that I think a lot of people stuck it out for her. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they could not truly take the show anymore, they wanted to see how Melissa would handle certain storylines. And I am, as far as I'm aware, she hit it out of the park every time she was given something truly uh, to, you know, eat at a real meaty story. Now that, uh, so, oh, Melissa, forever a Supergirl, the definitive Supergirl. I'm sure there will there will be another, um, but Melissa is is the the standard that we'll be holding mm-hmm. everybody to forever. Yes. Speaking of standards, and I probably will get some hate from the Kate Kane forever people, um, which you know what I'm just going to say, Kate Kane will always be Batwoman. Mm-hmm. The choices that CW made are the choices that CW made. However, that is not to say that we cannot uplift and praise Ryan Wilder, which I'm going to do right now. So Tempestia Leslie is amazing as Batwoman. And I think we talk so much about season three because um, if there is, it's one of the best seasons of superhero television, like across the board, not even just a CW show in general. And a lot of that has to do with um, Javicia truly taking ownership of season three. Obviously, season two, she did as well, but they had to navigate the waters of being respectful of Kate Kane's legacy while also introducing um, a new Batwoman. And when we hit season three, Ryan's Batwoman. Like, she is who we are looking to. She's the bat signal is for her. There is no more wondering on, oh, was Kate, would Kate be a better Batwoman? It's like, no, no, I'm Batwoman and I'm great. And I, the, what I love about this season, besides the fact that they used iconic bat, Batman villains to tie the story together, is that the through line is Ryan's found family and her biological family. And Javicia and Robin Gibbons acting um, off one another was perfection and the way that she delved into what it's like to be a a woman who had lost so much and had the potential to gain so much and being scared of that but also wanting that so much um I don't know it gave and I was happy that I watched season three I think everyone if there's a season of Batwoman you will you should tune into it's Batwoman season three Javicia carried it Everybody else was wonderful, um, but I just, God, I love her. And I'm going to miss her as Ryan Wilder, which is why I need a season four TV movie. She's the only JL we stand. If you know, we know. <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
she was incredible and I know I, I we've we've all talked about how incredible she was before I hate to talk about it in the past tense so I'm not going to because I don't want to um hopefully it is we don't have to do it in the past tense and we will get a follow-up but the fact is she had a platform there to make change and that's exactly what she did but Aside from that, her performance, just as a character, as a superhero, um, as a daughter, as a friend, everything she turned her sights to, she nailed. And it's just, I feel like her, I said this an awful lot, but I feel like her story was just getting started. But I'm not going to talk about that. And I'm going to honor the performance she gave us over those two seasons, which was just phenomenal. She is Batwoman. She is. She is. I just, um, again, we can appreciate her. We can uplift her while also knowing like what the Batwoman legacy from before, but that does not mean we cannot make room for Ryan Welder. I hope that um, the what the CW did, if it spins off into other DC properties, I'm fine with that. I know others won't be, but I don't want to say goodbye to the Ryan Welder that Javicia created. Uh, mm-hmm. It will live forever though. Um, she inspired so many people with her performance and I think season three just truly exemplified the direction the show was headed in um, and everything that she brought to the table as Batwoman so again HBO Max save Batwoman (laughs) (laughs) Um, so speaking of Batwoman best villain goes to Bridget Regan I mean that could come as no surprise to anybody who's ever seen Bridget's work she is the villain on so many shows um, and she does She's it so, so well. She's so good. She's so good. Absolutely. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's like to the point, like when I see her in something, I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, she's been awesome. And I remember from Agent Carter, and my goodness, what a great villain she was. And so the hopes were high when she was cast as Poison Ivy because she was on the top of a lot of people's fan castings for Poison Ivy because she looks like the traditional comic book version. And that's exactly what we got. My goodness. We've only ever had, I believe, one live action Poison Ivy before her in Uma Thurman in Batman and Robin. And we know the reputation Batman and Robin has. But I will say Uma Thurman nailed the campiness of their character beautifully. Um, Bridget Regan added a lot more realism to the character but there was still an awful lot of that sultry campiness that we know Poison Ivy exhibits and just just to see her get to come to life on screen and there was this like kind of like royalty about seeing an actual Batman villain portrayed on screen in such a like normal authentic way especially since her story was about oh Batman put her on in the ground 10 years ago and stored her in the Batcave so that a plant could grow out of her it was very very weird but uh, it was just just getting to see her come back and getting to see Bridget Regan finally nail another villain but also get to nail such an iconic villain the pressure was on, but she absolutely yes. And I will say, I got very attached to Poison Ivy's emotional arc as well. Mm-hmm. I know you shouldn't want the villain to succeed, but seeing her at Renee Montoya get back together, I was like, yes, go off and live your happy life on an island away from everyone else, even though you just killed a bunch of people. But um, <laughs> that's that's how that's, I had like, what, four episodes to get invested in her. And I did. Her performance was fantastic. I actually wish she got to camp it up more and more episodes on because she was so good in what we got to say. And again, it just feels like another missed opportunity of Batwoman's cancellation. But I hope we get to see her again in another Arrowverse property because definitive live action Poison Ivy. I think so. I think so, too. I just when you said it was four episodes, like, really? Because I felt like I was there with her for the whole time. Um, (laughs) Because she's just there when actors can truly insert themselves into a storyline coming out of like nowhere and steal the show. um, That is a testament to their skill. 
And with Bridget, it was like, I have, you know, Poison Ivy wanted to flood the entirety of Gotham. And I was like, girl, we don't need to do that. But also you've made some good points about, uh, about like pollution and um, global warming and climate change. And I am there for you, not your eco-terrorism ways, even though that's, like, that's a part of your character, but uh, there's, a, there's a righteous anger to her that worked really well. Um, and her softness with Renee was like, oh, I want you to like, yes, go off on an island. I mean, do you deserve this arc? No, but should you have it? Yes. <laughs> um, because their love story, for as short as they had to like um, push it in, it's great. Um, I, it's one of the best executions of a short form love story I've seen on television. Um, they only had a certain amount of episodes and they managed to land it. Uh, and uh, she, I want to see Bridget Regan as Poison Ivy again somewhere. Uh, if it's not in a Batwoman movie or um, a Batwoman season four, then I want to see Bridget in another DC property as Poison Ivy. Hire her. She's already got the skills. Lived up to expectations and exceeded them. I would love to see her back again. Yes. Mm-hmm. And our last award. And we I'm going to let you take this one away because I think... For our dog lovers, it's going to be the best award. <laughs> it's called The Best Boy. And who is the best boy, Reed? Just real quick, I have to honor my guy Pretzel from In the Dark. He is Murphy's um, service dog. He has been by her side in jail, in drug runs, on the run. He's always there in the backseat of that car, just happy to be there. But at the same time, you're watching him and you're like, get this dog out of here. He deserves a better life. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the he's the best little guy. He's her. I don't think I said he's a golden retriever for anybody who doesn't know. He's just he's right by her side. He doesn't care if he's in jail or a courtroom. He loves her. And that's inspiring. <laughs> it is. And he has the best name. Pretzel is so cute. She's always just like, Pretzel, come on, Pretzel, find outside. And he and he's just like, oh, well. Oh what are we doing next <laughs> here we go again uh pretzel's the best boy the pretzel. so cute i hope he finds some peace in season four because he's, <laughs> as much as murphy and her friends have gone through it pretzel deserves a vacation okay let's hope for like an open meadow for pretzel. <laughs> some running around a new family <laughs> rehome pretzel <laughs> you're just gonna go there <laughs> if you had seen what this dog has been through you would be saying it too <laughs> okay um well then i guess yeah hashtag rehome pretzel <laughs> in season four mm, so that is it for our awards um if you're favorite actor, favorite character, favorite show was not on this list. It does not mean that they weren't fabulous. It just means that they weren't on our list. If you would like to show some um, appreciation for the actors and characters and shows that you love, there will be a tweet. I'll make sure it's there on our Twitter account and you can show them love. Um, Gifts, pictures, long speeches about what they did for you in your life, all acceptable. Good vibes only. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Positivity. Y'all don't fight other people about their favorite characters. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> no. Um, but before, we're, so we're going to launch into what we're watching and Superman and Lois is not on. However, that does not mean we can't talk about it because again, um, 
should we say it's our favorite show on, on the CW? Would that be accurate? I, actually, I don't know, Reed, because I don't know if you're going to put it over Dynasty, so never mind. Oh, no. <laughs> Dynasty over everything. <laughs> <laughs> so if we, if we put Dynasty to the side. <laughs> Superman and Lois is a nice number two for me. Okay, cool. Um, I think it's number one for me, even though we're all American, and I think that's because I'm not really full on season four, but you know what? It's got a season five, so we can do better next time. Yeah, that's fair. I can say it's season one, or number one for me ahead of everything else at the moment. So it was last season too. So yeah, number one for me too. I think consens- as a consensus, all of us seem to have it as top two. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That works. Uh, which is why I like it being on break again. Um <laughs> is so tragic uh and i say that because you know the my the naomi season finale was may 10th i don't know why we have to wait till may 31st to get to a new superman lois episode but you know we'll be holding tight um because lana knows that her best friend is superman now so i want to know now what (laughs) like how how are we going to to navigate this storyline reed you said she's got what an episode yeah, I'm giving her an episode to deal with the, oh my God, you lied to me all this time. And then we're, we're going to have to move on. Like there's bigger things to deal with, Lana. I'm so sorry. I know you're grappling with a lot right now, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Let's quit. Let's go through it quickly. <laughs> I mean, we kind of all foresaw this coming. I didn't think it would happen so soon or in that way. Um, but you're right. No, she has super Lana to deal with now. So we do, we, we got to get that out of the way quickly because there's only what four episodes left as we hit the finale, head to the finale. So yeah, there's a lot going on at the moment. And that last episode juggled it really, really well. Um, of course, the Lana story feels like the big thing we should talk about, not just because I'm a Lana stan, but um, I feel like there's so much in there that we've talked about before. She finally knows what does this mean? I do hope we get at least one episode to delve into that but the show is running out of time. So we do need to like wrap it up here before we get to the evil Jonathan, evil Lana all coming back into town. Whereas Ali Alston as the super Scarlet Witch like being that knows everything. Um, Yeah. I, I, the last episode was glorious and I keep saying that, but this show just, it, it doesn't miss for me. And that was another example of that. It was so great. And that's why I'm hoping like, yes, that it's one episode to like sort of like, be heard about not being told, questioning why she wasn't told. But I really want to see how her being mayor plays into this because I feel like it's going to have to. Not to say that, you know, Lana as mayor can't stand her on two feet. She can, but writing-wise, like, I don't want her to just be mayor just because. I want her to be mayor because it's somehow going to apply to keeping the Kent family safe. Um, and how does that work? And what does it mean that she's hiding it from her daughter? Which I'm, I'm um, going to be team, t- Lana, don't tell Sarah. Like that's that is what I am I'm, I'm team of. I just that'll be a mess. It'll mm. be a mess when Sarah I think finds Sarah, out, but... yeah, Sarah's gonna be the she's gonna be the one that drags out the you lied to me for like <laughs> longer than I'm gonna be happy about. <laughs> yeah, which is why I don't I don't actually want her to be told, but like I don't want to have a scene in the um cushion kitchen where she's like, So baby, I have something to tell you about the Kens. Like she doesn't need to know about what's going on with the Kens. No more than Jordan need to be trying to slip her a letter telling her <laughs> about the superpowers. I just we she's not earned that right. <laughs> the two people that know are Alana and Lois and both women very important iconic Sarah not iconic yeah exactly like we have to earn that we have not earned that yet so season three they probably won't do that but if we had a season three 
that we do have a season three. What am I talking about? Um, then that was when I would want her to know sometime in the middle and the mid-season finale so she can be angry and then we cut off for like two months. <laughs> I am curious to see because it seemed like Lana kind of had a, you know, a thing for Superman. There was a moment where she was like, yeah. you want to come in? And he was like, a little busy. <laughs> so I want to know like how that, how she deals with that where she was like oh my god I kind of hit on my best friend <laughs> well they did used to date so she'd probably be like so that was awkward for both of us then outside the house that would have been a good time to tell me when <laughs> when I offered you a sit down at the coffee table <laughs> like so I don't know I don't as we know it's not going to lead to Clark and, and Lana going back to talk about their romantic feelings for one another but you know a, a nice little nod to her being flirty would be a nice bit of awkward humor for the show. And I think that both actors would do really well in that scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And speaking of both actors doing really well, that last scene where he told her was just incredible. And I know we can talk about how like the visual, how visually stunning it was with the highway and the sun and the uh, Clark using his freeze breath to freeze the tray. But <laughs> it just, um, just, Clark looked so scared to tell her and that to me was that that was that was the icing on the cake for me um like here's this veteran superhero who's taken on Zod and Lex Luthor and all of these bad guys and he was just so frightened to tell his best friend a secret that he'd been keeping from her for so long that's the authenticity we talk about and Tyler just nailed that but like it was just felt so grounded. We talk about how Superman and Lois grind stories and that just felt like such a, like a real moment in the midst of this story where there's evil doppelgangers running around. It was so good. It was, especially because it paralleled when um, he was dismissive towards her, when she was very happy to tell him something and she had missed him. And then this time she dismissed him because something like that happened mm-hmm. with her. And it's just seeing that flipped and what it looks like and what it feels like. Um, and Clark trying to navigate, trying to like, no, no, there's something I have to tell you and I'm scared to tell you, I have to tell you, um, was so good. That's why I think when we come back, whatever scenes that they have together are going to be like off the charts. They have great chemistry. And I know people usually use the word chemistry when they're talking about like romantic chemistry. Um, but chemistry is just a word we use when we talk about the dynamics and their dynamic is one of the best on the show. Agree. Without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, just so you guys know, we're skipping the flash, uh, this week, which, you know, that's completely fine. You know, let's, let's, and should we say a memory of Frost, we'll just put it to the side, um, and we'll come back to her. <laughs> yeah. We'll, ha- we'll, we'll have a moment of silence before the uh, round team starts again next week. <laughs> yes, I think exactly. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna think I'm gonna pass on Dynasty as well, because here's the status update. Dynasty's doing what she needs to do. She's fine. I'm not worried about her. What I really, really, really want to get into is Riverdale. I feel like I've been holding it in (laughs) and I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So you guys, just so you know, you've entered the roast portion of the, um, the episode. It's, we're currently still in like, what are we watching? But there's not a lot of positivity when it comes to Riverdale. Um, We are all cut up now. Uh, So we, we know what happened. The one positive note is Barchi, but I'll table that for now. And, um, so Barchi shippers, hold on tight. We'll get to something like light. But first, what is Riverdale doing? I'm not even sure they could answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> I think where I want to start is I struggled so much with the time travel episode. 
for many reasons that I don't even know if I could list them. Where were you guys at with that one? Uh, for me, it did the thing that shows do when they want to talk about something important in history, but they're uncomfortable talking about certain things in history. And um, Tabitha time hopping through different racist periods of Riverdale's um, history was not it for me, especially when we weren't really going to go there. I mean, I told y'all that I was, why are we having a meeting about whether or not the town should become a sundown town? And the fact that we're not even going to really explain what a sundown town is for anyone who's watching who does not know. Like, first of all, they, they sort of mention it, Black people can't be in the town after dark. If they're caught here, it's considered a crime and they'll be dealt with. It's like the word is they would have been lynched or brutally um, attacked and then pushed out of um, out of the town. That is what happened in sundown towns. In fact, they still exist in 2022 and people know where they are and they know to avoid them. Uh, but when Riverdale wanted to do it, I was like, really? So then we have Artie, uh, um, an ancestor of Archie being like, you know, I served with Black folks in the military, and I have to tell you, I would not appreciate this, and we don't need to be a sundown town. And I was like, that's great, Artie, but this just feels like a scene that shouldn't be here. The whole concept of it, I was like, why is, what does this have to do with anything that's currently happening on this show? It felt like something, if they wanted to give Erin Westbrook, like, a a spotlight episode to give her, like, a chance to shine in the midst of all this chaos that's going on around her, as a character, it, it I mean, she was really great she in was. the episode, but the content was kind of another example of Riverdale taking an ambitious swing and not really knowing what they're aiming for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they had the ball on the tee, they swung and they're like, hope it hits the green, but then it lands in the water. It definitely felt like each chapter of that episode over a time period she landed in, it felt like each one would have needed to be its own episode to deal with the themes that they were trying to explore. But instead you had this condensed rush by the number story for each chapter. So none of them really had the gravity they needed to have. Of course, the second one, when uh, when you saw how emotional Tabitha was getting over the Martin Luther King announcement, that was that was really, uh, it, it, hit, it hit home. But that's because of how great Aaron's performance was. I just feel like some of the writing let the story down. And I know what Reed said when he said it sometimes it didn't feel like it gelled with what was happening in the present day, other than the fact that what started to look like a Percival Pickens doppelganger, but then by the end of the episode was actually maybe real Percival Pickens himself. Is he immortal? Is he a time traveler? How did he end up in these places? I think the episode took so many ambitious swings that the story started changing as it went on and it got harder to follow. So that in the final chapter of this, what started as a really like uh, thematically heavy episode, she ended up uh, sword fighting with an immortal tyrant that had a demon face dressed in old fashioned outfits in a shop. And then he disappeared when he, she stabbed him. I'm like, how did you get from A to B? It just, too much happened in that episode. And I'm not sure the explanations in the end made up for it. There doesn't seem to be a lot of meat on the bones of those personal stories. So like we get episodes like Time Traveling and The Fog, where for lack of a better word, they're kind of filler because they didn't necessarily contribute much to the overall. Like, I don't feel like I walked away from either episode with a better understanding of what... (laughs) They're working toward with Percival. 
I don't know. And also another thing that I did not like about the time travel one is the tease of Jughead dying. It's like the stakes on that now are so low that I do not care. Mm-hmm. Like either kill him or please move on. Like I, I can't sit through another season where it's like, oh, is Jughead going to die? Because I know that he's not and I don't care. It's not that I want him to. Oh, no, I won't get into <laughs> that. But like it's it, when she said that, I'm like, okay, I see that you're sad because it's your boyfriend. But I, as a viewer who has watched this show for six seasons, they're not going to kill him. No, it's going to, I'm going to say this now. It's going to be the reveal Jughead because she already heard him on the radio when, um, during the fog episode, I think she thinks it's her Jughead. Uh, Um, but I don't, or he's going to replace him. Michael, it's basically going to be the bait and switch. I think the bait and switch of Iris and HR, um, from Mm. season three, uh, of the flash. So, could that be great writing wise like the scene itself sure how we're getting there no like to go back to the to time travel episode the fact that it's unclear um why Percival needs Riverdale of all places and why in different periods of time he keeps coming back to Riverdale which is in upstate New York I believe like for what reason is this the battleground of the fight between good and evil and why is he supposedly the face of darkness which they're very careful about that so he can't be lucifer um mm. like at all but even then, like we're going like why does he have the sword that pierced the side of jesus or the holy grail like that's they're in riverdale for what reason like like, like would he would he have that and like, i know it's a, a curiosity shop but it just seems weird um and I don't, I don't like him as a, as a villain. And it's not that the actor isn't doing good with what he's been given. He is. It's that he's serving no purpose besides antagonation. Yeah, it's so vague. I'm like, I don't understand what the stakes of his endgame really are. I don't know. It's just not clicking with me too much. It's, there's just been no real sense of cohesion this season like we get time travel then we get a fog and then we get a mention of tbk who's been on the back burner since Mm -hmm. season five i think and it's like can something plug this into the wall we need something to work (laughs) find the plug (laughs) well especially because we've we we, like the town is still central which is why this the storylines are being dragged down but it's like now it's it's central, but not central because we're once again, we focus back on the importance of the characters and their powers when we spent episodes simply talking about the town as if the town is the thing that they need to be concerned, concerning themselves with. Also, Riverdale is doing that thing where like it's ignoring the fact that they're not um, reading other characters into what's happening. So then you have Betty for some reason not catching on that her mom is being mind controlled. Mm. And like, and not getting out of the house and away from her so that all of her plans aren't being just taken back to Percy. She's just like, oh, my mom gave the journal. Like, yes, she'd do that anyway. But considering the fact that, you know, he can mind control people, maybe we should move over to Archie's house, even if it's temporary. And something that I don't like is that it feels like they're using the same characters for the villain. Like Alice, once again, it mm-hmm. feels like she's in the midst of this for no particular reason other than she's outside of the main four 
cast members and then kevin again mm-hmm. in the latest episode with the library book i'm like i'm so tired of this show using his sexuality against him when he kissed percival i was like do they absolutely not give a crap about kevin i don't but like at some point they need to give the man some dignity like why is he a part-time sheriff he's there whenever they need him and it I, I'm, we need to talk about Kevin. Uh, it's not good what they're doing with him. It just drives me crazy when I saw them kiss. I was like, of course, once again, Kevin's the one that's just powerless to the villain again. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we saw all this with Edgar ever and ever. It was those two exact people, Alice and Kevin, who were like pulled over to the dark side and, oh no, you're wrong, Betty, even though you've been right the whole time. I'm not going to believe you, Betty, even though you've been right the whole time. And no, rightly, Betty's going to be right in the end. And it's just, it's like, we've been here before. We've done that before. And I can't, I don't know why I had this, like, wouldn't it be hilarious if they brought, if they made, uh, what do you call it, Percival and Kevin get together? Because in that one randomly scene, they were standing right like that. There, I was like, where is this going? And that's exactly where it went. It feels like they're trying to be so unpredictable. And yet you can actually see the, the twists coming now because you're like, oh, well, clearly they just do that for no reason because it makes no sense. And then they go and do that for no reason because it makes no sense. Kevin's been roped into this after Percival called him a Nessair, what four minutes before that and it just it feels like it, it was like he was starting to show doubt so Percival has to do this to like reel him on side and like Kevin is not a good character he can see clearly that he can't see clearly that these people are pulling the wool over his eyes that he's been pointed in this direction or that direction same goes for Alice it's like we've been here before these characters are doomed to play the same roles they've played before and can we also talk about Veronica because somebody called the Avengers we have a Black Widow on our hands why 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 was that story necessary <laughs> It's just, it's not. If there are two people, there are two characters that two, she's a main, but I feel like they sometimes try to treat Kevin as a main and it just doesn't work because they don't give him anything, but like they don't have storylines. So like to unpack further about Kevin first, the thing that is bothersome about this, about his characterization, not only just in this season, but in general, is that his driving like core trait is that he makes terrible decisions. Um, and that has not changed. He's not grown past it. Uh, like, for instance, Moose is literally just brought back so he doesn't make it to dinner about his son. And yes, it is uh, because of the fog, but the way that the writing is treating it is like, well, even if there wasn't fog, Kevin probably would have missed that dinner because Moose offered him an opportunity to get close. And he chose that because it does seem like the way that they want to write him is that because of because of his insecurities, he often needs to be um, intimate, however he needs to be intimate. Um, and, but they refuse to go past it. Like it's like, like Tony said in the conversation, she has no problems with like sexual freedom. The issue is that the way that Kevin decides that he's, he's going to have a sex life is that it tends to be reckless and violent and he hasn't unpacked why. And uh, he needs to, on Riverdale because I feel like whenever they bring it up it is just meant to hurt him or it is just to foreshadow Kevin making another terrible decision um Fangs is on the phone talking about how Kevin abandons everybody like and I was like well he's mad now but why weren't we mad earlier when Kevin literally walked out of their son's life while he was still cooking in the womb Mm -hmm. like that was completely fine I wrote in my notes I want Kevin to have an actual love story Definitely. Um, he deserves to have a love story. He also deserves to get out of this town. Um, yeah, because 
for a character who seemed to be so full of light and humor in season one, they just continue to keep grounding him and grounding him and grounding him um, into the story and not in a positive way, just keep grounding his character down to serve the plot. And because they keep doing that, every time that we seem like we're going to unpack his feelings, they just seem to, to further the plot point, but not further his own arc. And that's not fair. No. And that's like those other shows that we talked about that do make time for the authentic stuff as well as the whatever the genre they fit into. Riverdale doesn't want to tell those kinds of stories. So they conveniently bring up the trauma when it suits the plot and when it suits the character acting out of character, but never decide to delve into the trauma so that they can then use it as a plot device six years later. It just feels like they don't want to tell those stories so they aren't. And that's not good drama. These characters deserve to have their voices heard rather than being pointed in one direction by another character. Character. Yeah. We'll say that the latest episode, the library book one, was made for me the most interesting episode we've gotten. It's because the cast was working toward a goal together, and they're usually always better together mm-hmm. anyway. So, but also what Sabrina said earlier is that it's not fun anymore. And I feel like the show is starting to take itself a little too seriously, and not in the sense that they think they're like succession or like some huge drama but like where in the beginning the first three seasons they could kind of fall back on the camp like this is outlandish and we know it's outlandish they were in on it it feels like it's just there's a sense of energy and like fun that's been sucked out of the show this season and i don't know if that's a conscious decision for this um storyline but i suspect that it's not it might just be a sign of a show running out of gas a little bit um, and that sucks, you know, because I think we were all really excited about this season. We all still really love the show. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it if we didn't have any care for the show. But it's unfortunate that we like just deflated an excitement. Like <laughs> it just happened out of nowhere. We're just like deflated. And as much as like we get these moments, we're like, oh, there's the Riverdale we know. There's like it's a, a yin yang, like a roller coaster. There's another thing that like, oh why'd they do that? Or like, ugh, like I'm watching the library book one. I'm like, why do they keep making these choices with Veronica? Like she's always got the drink in her hand. Like they're making her Hiram and it makes me uncomfortable. And I don't know. It just, it's frustrating to see a show that you once like defended for being campy and fun and misunderstood turn into the opposite of that. Yeah. Cause Kevin and Veronica are basically the same. Like that, the, the through line for those stories that they both choose intimacy in order to get close to somebody because they they are lonely and she did the exact same thing that Kevin did except she did it with Geraldo and her um he died uh and now and now we're like we're like the black widow and I guess that'll be some of the campiness that we'll get back next episode but considering the fact that they've literally had her do absolutely nothing this season but um sit there and angst and i did not like that we went back to the whole she misses archie thing mm-hmm. like at all and i'm not even saying that as a bargy shipper i'm saying that as someone who likes veronica as a character and doesn't know why we backslid to archie for what i know like she didn't particularly like her husband but like never mentions him <laughs> <laughs> Same thing that there's literally a dead body in her bed and that there is no trauma there whatsoever. It's like she's just become completely moot to any kind of a traumatic experience because 
the she-wolf of Wall Street doesn't act like that. And I just feel like there was more to her character than that. And it's just like everybody's going through the motions instead of feeling what the story should let them feel. The dialogue too kind of feels like the fun's been taken out of it too. Like I'm not, there, a few seasons ago, there were so many lines that Lily had that were so funny and weird. And even Veronica too. And they're like, where are they? Where'd they go? Mm-hmm. They're all like, living wanna, in Cheryl's house. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, them being like the writers and everybody, but I don't know. Something's not right with the season. No, it's not. The well, one, two things, two things I like is Jabatha and obviously Barchi. So to, to um, bring some levity um, to this portion of, of our podcast, I really enjoyed the Barchi content that they gave us. Um, even though it was still dark and angsty, but it it moved the needle forward on their own personal arcs. I will forever be mad about season one's uh, teacher-student relationship and how it, it wrapped. Uh, they were janky when it came to um, discussing what Miss Grundy did to Archie. And we finally got to the fact that she groomed and abused him uh, this season when he's uh, with this episode, the latest episode. But well, the latest episode when we're recording this pod. I don't know if we'll go back to it in the new one. But, um, and I thought that was really great. It, it, I think KJ did a great job um, sort of playing the emotions of that. Like, so he, it's clear Archie still hasn't even touched uh, what happened to him at 15. I think he's 15 in that season, but when he was 15 um, and is ashamed of it and didn't want to share it with Betty. And then he did. I thought that was nice. I thought it was nice that Betty finally opened up to Archie about, you know, having a serial killer for her father and then what she did uh, to be free of TBK. I'm glad that they're not having a child yet. I think they, as much as Archie wants one, he needs some growth on his own and so does Betty, especially in their relationship. Uh, but I thought it was really, it's a really sweet parallel when she's telling him what happened uh, because one thing that they've done lately, they've, they've moved away from the window motif that they do a lot with them and have brought on to candles, which is a reference to carry the tor- torch. So it's always very yellow and warm when they're having a, a vulnerable scene together. And I appreciate that. Um, I wish I could have like been the, a bargy who was screaming about everything that happened. Um, some of this stuff is happening. I feel like it's coming a little late, but I appreciate what was given to us and I hope it continues. It probably won't as we go further into the storyline because we're getting towards the end and they need to get to the big battle. Um, but I think Betty and Archie are in it for the long haul. I think Archie's more in it right now than Betty is, but I also think Betty started to realize that it's real and she did need the reassurance from him that he wasn't going anywhere because one of her insecurities about him is that eventually he'll just, you know, move on. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen even with Veronica and Archie kissing in the preview. I would love to see a little bit more lightness, like you said, between them because their scenes, as much as I like seeing them together, because I think for me, they're two of my favorite performers on the show and two of my favorite characters. Um, I don't know, I just kept like thinking like, why can't some of these conversations happen while they're on a date or something or like, or show us a scene that's unrelated to what's going on, but where they can talk about it. And I just feel like I've seen so many other shows incorporate lightness for the characters amid all of the stuff they're dealing with to where like, that's something that fans can hold on to when the show gets a little more rough. Yeah. And I don't think we have a lot of those moments to grab onto in modern Riverdale, unfortunately. 
they're given to Jagatha. Mm-hmm. Like there are little mm-hmm. cute moments that um, Jughead and Tabitha have. Like when he got the um, the generator running and she was like, yeah, like jumping up and down, he hugged her and he spinned her. Um, that was very cute. And I, I rewind it back because I thought it was adorable. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think it's like one of the only pieces of levity, really, besides like Cheryl's one-liners um, that the show has had in a while. It's still so weird for me to see Cheryl put her hands up and make fire. Um, <laughs> I don't think like they'll I, ever like talk about why that's happening. No. I, I'm still, I feel like it's going to like, this can't be forever, right? Like they have, it has to go away. Like I'm Im- imagining a spell being broken and their powers go away. I think so. That's the logical outcome. <laughs> yeah. Somehow like Fred is going to get tied into this though. Cause um, Archie was looking at his picture and he was the anchor made me think of Teen Wolf. Um, that kept Percival from being able to take over his mind. That's the second time Fred has been referenced, at least for Archie, when it comes to his powers. So we'll see. As for us, y'all, we are crawling to this Riverdale season six finale finish line. Um, At this point, my feelings on Riverdale, they're not even mixed. I just, I want everyone to be set free. (laughs) Us, the cast, the crew, set everyone free. (laughs) <laughs> 10 episodes season seven in and out we can do it yes that's Come not on. confirmed to anybody listening that's just my hope <laughs> <laughs> come on roberto you can do it <sighs> now like i know that there's incentive because of this netflix deal to create more episodes of riverdale but i'm strictly and firmly on team cut roberto off with season seven <laughs> <laughs> please um so that is it for um, this pod episode. To end on like a, a positive note, you guys, we're doing our first live show. Uh, it'll be for upfront. We'll give you all the information actually on our Twitter account. But we want to let you guys know first that we're going to do a live show. Though, Michael, I think you you let the BSP fans know a little early, which is great because you guys subscribe to the YouTube because that's where it'll be. Yeah, we'll be unpacking everything. Yes. Good in the bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you think we'll get renewal news before then? No, I, God, I hope so. Yo. Okay. So we'll unpack if we do we'll unpack renewal news we'll get through if they introduce the fall schedule that's what we're talking about and of course we're going to be talking about batwoman and legends of tomorrow and if they give us the fall calendar we'll be able to see why they got um which is unfortunately unfortunate, but at least we'll have some answers. So uh, to wrap this up, we are the CW Spiral. I am Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all. See you when we're live on Thursday. Well, next Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.